Congress refuses to act, so President Trump does it for him. More violence shows up in the city of Chicago. We'll talk a bit about what happened there and why that's happening. That's breaking just in a few hours ago. Biden picks Peter Ducey as a running mate, and Congress has a new bill for you to outlaw machining. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Sorry, folks, I lost my place in the intro there, and that's a little bit embarrassing, unfortunately, but sometimes it happens here. It's early in the morning, and I overslept once again here, but we've got a bunch of stuff to get to, as always, here. So, before we get started, head on over to freedomscoop.com. Freedomscoop.com is going to be your one-stop shop for all of your news and commentary needs. We have got many great shows over there. We've got The Generational Gap. We've got Stephen Ignoramus. We have got The Breakdown with Birkenhoff. We've got the R.A. to Conservative, and we've got the Freckles and Brit show, along with my shows as well over there. So make sure you go over there and check that out, and maybe give a little message of support to the Freckles and Brit show if you happen to see them over on Twitter, because uh, it seems that we haven't seen uh, any, content of, excuse me, any content out of them for a while. So we sure do love having them on the network, and we hope to see them coming up again soon. So check that out over there. Go and pick up some of our swag, some of our t-shirts, and some of the other stuff we have over there. Help us support great creators, like all of the above mentioned there, and help us push the news and the narrative out there in a way that CNN, NBC, and Fox will not. All right, before we actually get into the stocks for the morning, I had something here that I wanted to point out. I don't know if this is true or not, so if anybody looking back in the live chat or looking back at one of the later uh, one of the later iterations of the show on demand over either on the audio platform or over on YouTube or BitChute once it processes, if you guys can find any confirmation of this, let me know because this very much interests me. Posting and toasting over on Twitter posts, true story, Lowe's Home Center no longer sells rope. Guess why? I cannot confirm this because there is not a Lowe's Home Center anywhere close to where I live. I can either go to Menards or Home Depot, otherwise I've got to start doing some traveling out there. So I don't know if this is true or not. I can guess why that is, but hey, if that's true, then uh, we really do need to start rethinking these lockdowns and everything else that's happening out of this. But that's what we have off of this here. I don't know if this is true, so please, uh, please don't take this as gospel, whether or not, until we get a confirmation, but yes. That's what posting and toasting tells us. All right, let's go look at the Dow here. So, oh, it refreshed. That's sad. Either way, we had about a 0.7% increase on the Dow at the end of Friday after spending most of the day low. It was actually right down about here where my cursor is right now. It was down about there when it all started. So, yeah, that's where it's sitting now, just 0.7 uh, points up. Looks like we had kind of a flat futures throughout the weekend uh, from what I've, everything I've seen from looking into the episodes for this. But yeah, I mean, as long as it's going up somewhat, people's retirements are at least being protected. And I know people that are getting ready to retire and start using that retirement. So that's something to watch for as well. And let's see what the investors are saying for the day from IBD. Sink your teeth into bigger profits. Get MarketSmith. Three weeks for 1995. No, I am... What's the word for what I am? Cheap. 
Dow Jones futures, Trump extends unemployment benefits for stock market rally risks from Ed Carson. Dow futures were a little changed Monday, along with S&P 500 futures and NASDAQ futures, with the stimulus deal talks at an impasse. President Trump on Saturday signed executive orders providing extra unemployment benefits and deferring payroll taxes. Yeah, we'll talk a bit about that here when we talk about the main story here. Despite rising U.S.-China tensions, the coronavirus stock market rally had a strong week. Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, and Salesforce.com led the way, but several leading sectors did well. Some high-flying software names sold off sharply, such as Fastly, Datadog, Teladoc Health, while many U.S.-listed China stocks retreated on rising China tensions. But other than that, leading stocks took or looked strong. Solar stock shined with Solar Edge Technologies and a phase. First Solar, surging on earnings, many financials had a big week from payment stocks such as Square, MasterCard, to insurers like Palomar, Health Insurers, Health, uh, United Health rather, and Humana broke out. So did Walt Disney, which had been a stock market rally laggard. Yeah, from what I understand, nobody's really going to Walt Disney right now because a lot of their parks are either really, really close. Uh, Really, really slow or closed entirely, but it does, I do think that they're opening back up. I know that uh, Sullivan can probably tell us a little bit more about that if he comes back into the chat, so we'll go and uh, check that out with them. So, but even still, people don't want to go where they're being forced to wear an article of clothing, like a mask or something. They don't want to do that. It's hot out in Florida or California, whether or not, uh, whichever one you choose to go to. And it's really restrictive if you want to go out, be athletic, or be out in the sun all day. So, yeah, I can understand that entirely, why it would be lagging. But, hey, it seems to be coming back around anyway. So, yeah, absolutely. And that's going to be a big one, too, to push along if uh, Walt Disney comes back. So, yeah, that's awesome. As far as your Square and your MasterCard coming through, I do think a part of that is people are saying the hell with it on the travel restrictions and the mask restrictions and everything else and just traveling going to campgrounds and whatnot that are usually a small business and use a square as a payment processor rather than some big bank to process the payments for them. So there are some things that are going on with this and I think this is going to be a big boost for small business. I really do. And I think it's going to come straight from small business. So that's a good thing. Several top retailers did well, including Costco Wholesale and Lululemon Athletica. Gold and silver miners are minting gains. Are Minting gains, that's an interesting way to put that, along with precious metals. Domestic casino operators such as Penn National Gaming and Churchill Downs are breaking out. Chip leaders look solid. Housing stocks are acting well. President Trump on Saturday signed an executive order to extend extra jobless benefits at $400 a week versus the $600 a week in extra unemployment benefits that expired at the end of July. Trump said states must cover 25% of that. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has said Trump doesn't have the authority to extend extra unemployment benefits. Without Congress appropriating funds, Trump is redirecting some disaster relief funds to finance the federal portion, but that may only last a month or so. Trump also signed an executive order letting businesses defer the employee portion of payroll taxes through the end of the year for workers making up to $100,000 a year. Finally, he said he's restoring an eviction moratorium and student loan payment deferrals. All the indices are rallying. The NASDAQ composite is still close to upper channel lines, so Friday's pullback was welcome. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 index is running towards an all-time high. The Dow Jones is starting to heat up, while the small cap Russell 2000 easily outpaced major indices last week. 
All these factors point to a broader coronavirus stock market rally, while the major indices still move on mega caps, such as Dow Jones, uh, Giants, Apple stock, and Microsoft stock. Growth investors have a variety of sectors to choose from. Apple stock and Microsoft stock are on the IBD leaderboard. Microsoft is on Swing Trader. Microsoft and fellow DGIA component United Health stock are on the IBD long-term leaders list, which just added and Salesforce stock. Palomar and Microsoft stock are on the IBD 50. For the futures, Dow Jones futures rose 0.3% versus fair value, while the S&P 500 futures climbed about 0.1%. NASDAQ 100 futures were flat. Apple rose 1% on a Wedbush price target hike, giving a lift to the major indices. Remember, overnight action on Dow futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. So, a couple things to watch here. Looks like it's pointing up especially with the idea of the Trump stimulus coming on here. And this this is one where the Congress is going to be able to come on and say, well, we actually did the stimulus and Trump just signed it. And this is actual Trump bucks, no matter what comes out of it. And once again, I completely disagree with it. I like the fact that he's putting some of this off to the states and that helps to make sure that California pays their fair share and doesn't have to borrow money out of Wyoming because that's all coming up out of the federal government. So yeah, this is... I, this is the way they should have done it to begin with, but they couldn't agree on anything over in Congress, which to an extent is a good thing. But yeah, if you're going to be doing this, you do have to throw some responsibility up onto the states as well. So a lot of good things coming up out of this here. Let's go and see what CNBC has to say. From Fred Imbert, S&P 500 futures are flat to start the week as White House, Congress battle over coronavirus relief. U.S. stock futures were flat early Monday morning after President Trump signed several executive orders aimed at extending coronavirus relief. Dow Jones Industrial Average futures were up about 70 points, indicating a gain of about 60 points at market open. S&P 500 futures were little change, while NASDAQ 100 futures fell 0.1%. These or Those orders continued the distribution of expanded unemployment benefits. I don't think that paragraph is supposed to be there. Oh, yeah, no, it is, because we had the little one up here. All right. Those orders continue the distribution of expanded unemployment benefits, defer student loan payments through 2020, extend a federal moratorium on evictions, and provide a payroll tax holiday. However, the unemployment benefit will be continued at a reduced rate of $400 per week. Originally, the benefit provided workers impacted by the pandemic with $600 per week. Trump's move come after congressional leaders failed to make progress on the new coronavirus stimulus package last week. Several benefits from a package signed earlier in the year lapsed at the end of July, raising uncertainty about the U.S. economy moving forward. Yeah, the housing market was a big one coming in off of that because I know that people were are behind on mortgages right now, whether or not they can get the unemployment. They're going to be behind on a lot of that at this point. And a lot of people were looking at, well, am I going to default on my mortgage? Am I going to be able to eat? Am I going to have to, or am I going to lose my house? And yeah, that's going to be the thing. Now, I think that a lot of this is going to affect the housing market anyway. And I do think that at some point here, the housing market is going to be the market of the McDonald's worker because they were the ones that stayed working throughout this entire thing. They stayed in their jobs. A lot of people went and joined their ranks as they were going off there, but they definitely stayed in their jobs throughout this entire pandemic. They're going to have the creditworthiness while everyone else was laid off and unemployed and not going to be able to get a mortgage for a little while. 
some of the housing prices are going to drop and some of these kids are going to jump up and make their first house purchases as Gen Zers early on in life, like they did in the boomer generation and even up in the Gen X generation. So this is going to be a major shift to the economy. It's going to kick the millennial generation in the balls once again, but this is going to make a major shift up into the economy. So this is something to watch, the housing market. Trump's orders will quickly face a legal challenge as continuing the programs would require federal funding, which Congress controls. Democrats have insisted they will not support a bill that does not extend the $600 per week benefit. The fiscal cliff still represents downside risk for August, said Aneta Markowska, chief financial economist at Jefferies. Markowska added, however, any weakness from this will be short-lived. By September, another round of fiscal support will create positive momentum. The reopening of schools, even if in some states, will reinforce the positive momentum by, one, boosting back-to-school shopping, and two, allowing more parents to return to work in September. She said in a note to clients, bottom line, all the stars are lining up for another inflection point in activity and a second leg up in the reopening. So, looks like Jeffries is positive about this. So that's what we're going to see off of this here. That's what your stocks are going to look like and what this executive order is going to do, possibly, as we look forward into this and whether or not it goes through. We're just going to have to watch. But we are actually going to move into the news and talk about the executive order. So, from CNN, we're going to start the news off from here this morning. Trump signs executive actions after stimulus talks break down on Capitol Hill. From Kristen Holmes, Nikki Robinson, Tammy Luby, and Jeremy Diamond over at CNN. President Trump tried to assert executive power by exec uh, signing four actions on coronavirus relief Saturday, one of which will provide as much as $400 in enhanced unemployment benefits after the Democrats in the White House were unable to reach an agreement on the stimulus bill this week. But that memorandum on enhanced unemployment benefits, 25% of which states are being asked to cover, has more strings attached than the White House acknowledged and is seen as a cumbersome effort that may not help a lot of the unemployed. The other three actions he signed include a memorandum on payroll tax holiday for Americans earning less than $100,000 a year. Still don't like that one because that's going to have a lot of people struggling at the end of the year. an executive order on assistance to renters and homeowners, and a memorandum on deferring student loan payments. <clears throat> I'm taking actions to provide an extra $400 a week and expanded benefits. $400, that's generous, that's the best, but we want to take care of our people, Trump said about his memorandum on unemployment benefits at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey. But it's more complicated than that. A state must agree to enter into a financial arrangement with the federal government for any unemployed person living there to get any of the additional benefits. And the federal government is requiring states to pick up the tab for 25% or $100 of the $400 additional benefit each person may be able to receive weekly in additional aid. Up to $44 billion from the Disaster Relief Fund would be made available for the lost wage assistance to supplement state payments, according to the memorandum issued by the White House shortly after Trump's news conference. But when asked about pres the president's executive action asking states to pay 25% of the $400 of unemployment relief, an official from northeastern state or from a northeastern state rather, run by a Democratic governor, laughed and said, "We don't have that money." The official said. And yes, I think some of this is 4D chess, the way that he's doing this and the fact that he's coming out and saying that, yes, I would like the states to cover a small amount of this. So because of this, I want to check on something here. Just bear with me for a second. I want to see if we're actually on DLive or not, because 
usually this place would be populated by DLive. And I saw this on uh, Saturday, too. Where we weren't getting a lot of DLive coming up out of this. Huh? No, I am on DLive, so I got somebody watching on Twitch and someone over on YouTube. Sorry about that, I just wanted to check on that. Let's keep going here. Uh, let's see, where was I? This official went on to say that they were not given any heads up on this executive action and that in the wake of the pandemic, their funds are completely tapped. In fact, the states have asked Congress to provide them with an additional $500 billion to help shore up their budgets, which have been crushed by the loss of tax revenue amid the pandemic. This has been one of the main points of contention between Democrats who want to allocate additional aid and Republicans who don't want to bail out what they said are or what they say rather are badly managed states. The millions of Americans who filed for jobless benefits have drained several states' unemployment benefits trust funds. Already, 10 states have borrowed nearly $20 billion from the Treasury Department to cover their share of payments, which typically last 26 weeks. Several experts told CNN that there are major questions about how many states may be able to afford the extra cost. If a state says that it does not have the funds or does not want to enter the agreement with the federal government, the unemployed people in that state would receive $0 in the extra benefits, they would still re receive the normal state unemployment insurance. Also, because Congress has not authorized an extension of extra federal unemployment assistance, the state will have to set up an entirely new system to deliver the additional aid, which could take months. The memorandum signed by Trump was not an unemployment insurance benefit and would not come through the unemployment insurance program already instituted in the states. Michelle Evermore, an unemployment expert at the National Employment Law Project, one of the nation's leading experts on unemployed, or unemployment rather, told CNN she considers the chances of this effort helping many of the newly unemployed due to COVID low. This is a brand new program. It's an assistance program for lost wages. It requires the creation of an entirely new administrative system. The states that don't get the program set up as quickly as other states aren't going to be, get any funding because it will run out, Evermore said. Lastly, according to the memorandum, an individual can only receive $300 or receive the $300 federal benefit if he or she qualifies or first qualifies for $100, excuse me, in aid from the state. Evermore said this will cut out a large group of people. There are so many problems with people getting a benefit under this. She told CNN. So yes, there are a lot of things at play here. There's a lot of things that we need to look at. There are just a massive amount of things to watch as we're sitting back and watching what's going on with this. And this is going to show some of the cracks in the system, I think. I support this in the way that it's written. I don't support the federal government spending a lot of money, which this is going to wind up being a lot of money. I don't support that in any way, shape, form, or otherwise off of this, but... First off, Congress failed to act. They can't come to an agreement. So somebody had to come in and do this for them while the people were still sitting unemployed. Now, looking at this, one of the uh, governors of a Democrat-run state up in the Northeast said, oh, well, we don't have the money for that. Well, why the fuck not? Third off, and this is the big thing. Now, the first federal unemployment package that came out of Congress for the $600 a week, didn't cost the states any extra. So they could just run business as normal as they went off and did this. It was free money coming into the states and being spent in the states on your state income tax. I don't actually, I don't know. It'll depend on the state whether it's state income tax, but your sales tax, 
your property tax is all going to get paid by this. This was money coming into the federal government. It was almost a redistribution because it was coming in off the federal government and going into the states equally at the same time without costing them a dime going back out other than their normal unemployment benefits, which, depending on how they do things, would take shorter or longer as they go along. Now, having the states come in and have a financial interest in doing this is something that we need to watch and something that we actually need to look at and do because that gives the interest for them to get their economies back open and get people back to work to whatever extent it is possible because, like the Democrat governor said up in the Northeast, they don't have the money for this. They don't have the money to do this. So yes, they should absolutely be up there coming out and saying, yeah, oh yeah, go ahead, get in there and get yourselves back to work. Yeah, there are a lot of moving parts to this exposing the cracks and people that are out of money. Unfortunately, it's making some people suffer in some of these blue states too that don't have the money because they won't benefit. They won't be able to get the $100, so they won't be able to get the $300. There are downsides to this, but this is showing a lot of the cracks in the system that we have out here. So this is very, very mixed. I applaud the president on his effort to do so, and I still don't agree with the payroll tax cut because that's all going to come due at the end of the year. But as it is right now, it's better than what Congress was able to pull together and push out, which was jack shit zero. But let's keep going in off of this here. From Fox Business, Trump payroll tax executive order likely worth $1,200 per worker uh, from Kudlow. From Evie Fordham over at Fox Business. The payroll tax deferral President Trump enacted via executive order on Saturday would save the average person about $1,200 over four months. Beginning in September, White House Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow said on Sunday, I think it's going to be a couple weeks and I think it's going to come to about $1,200 per person, Kudlow uh, told CNN's State of the Union. Trump has repeatedly pushed for a payroll tax cut amid the pandemic and included it in the four executive actions he signed this weekend. With respect to the payroll tax, we're basically giving 140-some-odd million people who worked throughout this pandemic their heroes. We're giving them about a $1,200 wage increase after the tax, Kudlow said. Trump's executive orders also included an extension of federally enhanced unemployment benefits that will require states to chip in 25% of the $400 per individual bump. The administration has not confirmed that all 50 states are on board, Kudlow said. So, based on our estimates, the states will be able to provide the extra $100, he said. We will probably find out to, uh, find that out today or tomorrow as we make our canvas. We've been in touch with them. We have very good records coming out of the Treasury Department, but we will be in touch. Okay, that was a little shorty uh, article off of this, yeah. So, that's what they're saying the payroll tax is going to be. I do hate to see on some of these people who have to owe in at the end of the year what that's going to be like, but... That's something we're going to see at the end of the year as we go into another crisis, depending on who the president is at the time, where we're going to see a lot of mess come out of that as well. So we'll keep that going. Out of NPR, which we're once again not going to read like this because that would be irritating and people would fall asleep as they're listening to this. But we do need to see what NPR has to say. All right, from NPR, Democrats slam Trump's executive actions, critiquing both substance and legality from Rachel Treisman. 
Democrats on Sunday slammed President Trump's executive actions aimed at providing economic relief during the coronavirus pandemic, saying the measures are both ineffective and unconstitutional. Trump signed three memoranda and one executive order at his Bedminster, New Jersey golf resort on Saturday amid stalled negotiations with Congress over a new COVID-19 relief package. The measures would extend some federal unemployment benefits, continue the suspension of student loan repayment, defer payroll tax and collection for many workers, and task federal officers with reviewing resources that may be used to prevent evictions and foreclosures. Some lawmakers and experts are voicing concerns about the president's moves to control federal spending, which is a power reserved for Congress. Andrew Rudolavige, chair of the Department of Government and Legal Studies at Bowdoin College, told NPR on Saturday that the unemployment benefits measure is a particularly controversial because it, it was really used in appropriated funds by Congress in ways that Congress might not have intended. Trump calls for using billions of unused dollars from the Department of Homeland Security's Disaster Relief Fund for the unemployment payments. Rudolavige added that he expects legal challenges to move fairly rapidly, citing the specific measures regarding unemployment appropriations and the payroll tax, which funds Social Security and Medicare. The president can defer the payroll tax, but he can't forgive it, Rudolavige says. He talked about terminating the tax if he re wins re-election, but that would certainly require a law to do. I think you see pushback there. Pushback from lawmakers was swift and moaned over the weekend. Mostly it came from Democrats, but from some conservatives, too. Our Constitution doesn't authorize the president to act as king whenever Congress doesn't legislate, said libertarian-leaning Michigan Congressman Justin Amash, who left the Republican Party last year to become an independent. Republican Ben Sass of Nebraska wrote in a statement that Trump does not have the power to unilaterally re rewrite the payroll tax law. The pen and phone theory of executive lawmaking is unconstitutional slop, he said. The Trump administration defended the president's actions on Sunday. White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow responded to Sass's comments about the payroll tax deferral on ABC's This Week. I appreciate those things. We're going to... Uh, we're going to go to court on them, Kudlow said. We're going to go ahead with our actions anyway. Our counsel's office, the Treasury Department, believes that it has the authority to temporarily suspend tax collections, so we're banking on that. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said all the actions cleared the administration's Office of Legal Counsel. He warned against potential challengers. If Democrats want to challenge us in court and hold up unemployment benefits to these hardworking Americans that are out of the job because of COVID, they're going to have a lot of explaining to do, Mnuchin said on Fox News on Sunday. Rudolovich told NPR that it's conceivable that Congress itself could have standing to sue over the question of unemployment appropriations and noted that the House sued then-President Barack Obama over spending on the Affordable Care Act. In an appearance on CNN's State of the Union on Sunday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called Trump's executive actions unconstitutional, but sidestepped a question about whether she could sue, or she would rather sue, to block them. Yeah, there's a lot of moving stuff off of this here, and yes, of course, the Democrat. we're going to read an op-ed in just a little bit as to why they're so pissed, but the Democrats are pissed that he did this. As far as the payroll tax suspension, that's what I've been saying since the beginning of this, yes, the president can suspend the collection of your payroll tax. But that's going to come due at the end of the year. He can't get rid of the tax itself. It's got to be in there. And yes, they have to pass a law to go and get rid of it. Which they should because taxation is theft. But yeah, no, they can't. He can't just unilaterally get rid of it. He can just direct the IRS to not collect it anymore out of everybody's paycheck. Which does make it more affordable for 
employers to go and pick up employees. It gives you a little bit more incentive to go back to work and it is, as the president said, a reward for people who've gone back to work or stayed working throughout this entire thing because they're not going to have to pay their payroll tax throughout the rest of the year. But yeah, at the end of the year, oh boy, you're going to go to your tax preparer on January, February, March, or even in April because some of us do that and he or she is going to have some really bad news for you. That $50,000 check you get back from the government every year is going to be a little bit paltrier if this actually goes through and stays through. So, a lot of moving parts off of this. Let's keep going. Biden decided he wanted to weigh in. So, we'll see if he could actually formulate a coherent and cogent sentence. And we'll get the autoplay stopped. Which I'll also turn your ears off so we don't have to worry about autoplay anymore. Let's get the live chat back up. Hey, we caught a wild sully. From the Hill, though, Biden says Trump executive order is a reckless war on Social Security. Yeah, that's that was the big thing that came out of uh, this weekend is everyone says, well, this is how he's going to get rid of Social Security because he wants grandma to die. Social Security is crap anyway. It's just a government slush fund for politicians to borrow out of tape get their stuff done and never pay back. That's part of the reason that it's in such dire straits. And I mean, it was insolvent to begin with, but. From J. Edward Moreno. I like this guy's name. A former Vice President Joe Biden on Saturday called President Trump's executive order to cut payroll taxes a reckless war on Social Security. One of several orders Trump signed from his private club in Bedminster, New Jersey on Saturday afternoon directs the Treasury Department to allow employers to def defer payments of employee-side Social Security payroll taxes through the end of the year for Americans making less than roughly $100,000 annually. Trump also said he intends to forgive the deferred payroll taxes and make permanent payroll tax cuts if he is re-elected in November. In an emailed statement addressing the president's order, Biden said that such a move would undermine the entire financial footing of Social Security. The... Wait, Biden said that? No, one of his staffers said that. He didn't say that. He can't string that sentence together. The presumptive Democratic nominee said that, unlike the 2012 payroll tax plan put forth by the Obama administration, Trump's executive order does not appear to include protections or guarantees that the Social Security trust funds will be made whole. He's laying out this roadmap to cutting Social Security, Biden said. Our seniors and millions of Americans with disabilities are under enough stress without Trump putting their harder Social Security benefits in doubt, man. You, you know, thing. Employees and employers each pay Social Security payroll taxes of 6.2% of wages and Medicare payroll taxes of 1.45% of wages. One of Biden's tax proposals would increase the payroll tax rate for people making more than $400,000. Of course he is. Go after the rich and the people that are out there uh, actually making money. It remains unclear if Trump has the legal authority to spend payroll taxes by executive action and the president's intimated during a question and answer session with reporters Saturday that he's expecting a lawsuit to challenge his move. Yeah, no, you didn't think that they were actually going to let him get away with a win, did you? Congressional Democrats also denounced the order, with House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Richard Neal calling it a poorly disguised first step in an effort to fully dismantle these vital programs by executive fiat. So, yeah, there's plenty of stuff coming out here. 
plenty of moves. This is going to be an entire next week's of news. I know we're going to talk about it later on today over on the Red Ned Show, but I guarantee you we're going to be watching this all week next week. Until something else blows up. Possibly literally. Alright, last one here, I think. Yep, last one here on the payroll tax is an opinion piece. Keep in mind, opinion piece, not fact. An opinion piece from over on Fox News, from Liz Peek. Trump's big win on relief orders. Hear why Pelosi and Schumer are so unhappy. What a smackdown. Furious that Democratic leaders Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer were blocking a bill to help Americans through the COVID-19 crisis, President Trump stepped up and got the job done all by himself. Over the weekend, he issued four executive orders that would extend modified unemployment relief to millions who are out of work, protect many from eviction from their homes, provide continued relief from the student loan debt, and suspend payroll taxes for employers and those earning less than $100,000 a year. It may not be enough, but it was more than Democrats were offering. This made House Speaker Pelosi and Minority Leader Schumer very, very unhappy. Pelosi called Trump's measures illusions. Sorry, Madam Speaker, for families in need, that extra $400 per week unemployment pay is absolutely real and extremely welcome. The president boxed the Democrats in. How can they possibly challenge his orders or take his mandated benefits away from people? The chagrin duo whined that Trump still does not comprehend the seriousness or the urgency of the health and economic crises facing working families. On the contrary, the president understands the urgency very well and also understands political hardball. Instead of compromising on legislation that would immediately help Americans pummeled by the coronavirus, Pelosi and Schumer prioritized issues that had nothing to do with the well-being of the nation. They pressed instead to ban ID requirements and signature verifications for voters. Measures that, as the president noted, would encourage increased fraud in our elections and that Republicans would never accept. Mainly, Pelosi and Schumer still know well because they want to torpedo the U.S. economy. Democrats know that creating jobs is President Trump's signature achievement and also the most important issue to voters. By blocking the next round of stimulus, they intentionally undermined the financial security of tens of millions of Americans. They don't care. Their priority is beating President Trump. The Americans be damned. And that's where I'm going to stop on this opinion piece. But yes, I mean, Liz Peek brings out a very good point off of this, and it was something else that was brought up as they were sitting and arm wrestling over this bill last week. And that is the fact that as you're sitting here and watching this, as you're sitting and watching what's going on with this and everything else that happens off of this, people were suffering. And this is, I said this last week, this is the government shutdown all over again and possibly on an even more massive scale because this was hitting non-government employees. Now, if you'll remember the last couple budgetary government shutdowns when the government ran out of money, Pelosi set and held the American people, the federal workers, because they were the only ones that were really affected by it, they, she held them hostage for almost 45 days because she wouldn't sign off on something unless it had her little pet projects in it. And yes, that was holding the people hostage. Her and Sh uh, Schumer were sitting there saying, well, well, the federal employees don't need to get paid because we aren't getting our pet projects. And we were seeing the exact same thing come out of this as well. She was standing up, stalling, to make sure that she got her vote, her pork-laden bill. Her bill, full of pork, pushed through Congress. Or the American people were going to suffer. She was out there holding the American people hostage. 
So yes, Liz Peak is exactly right on this, and 100%, no. It's time to get some of these people up and out of office. And the best part about this is, people are getting ready to go, they're gonna start early voting in September. That's when it's all gonna start. But, they didn't wanna have any of the debates until early voting had started. That was part of the reason that they were doing it. I mean, Trump pushed to get another debate happening before, before September so that he could sit and talk with Joe Biden before the early voting started. And this was another thing too. They were going to start and it looked like Congress was gonna try and push this off until early voting started so people would start voting for Biden to try and get rid of the evil orange man. And now Trump stepped in and said, no, I'm gonna take care of the American people first. This is all electioneering, and it's disgusting. Holding the American people hostage is absolutely fucking disgusting. So, that's what we saw for this here. From the Hill, another executive order that was coming out here, Trump teases order requiring insurers to cover pre-existing conditions. From Brett Samuels. President Trump on Friday teased an executive order to require health insurers to cover all pre-existing conditions, something already established under the Affordable Care Act, which his administration is suing to dismantle. Over the next two weeks, I'll be pursuing a major executive order requiring health insurance companies to cover all pre-existing conditions for all companies, Trump said during a news conference at Bedminster Property in New Jersey. This is a big thing. It's huge. Huge, I say. I've always been very strongly in favor. We have to cover pre-existing conditions. Trump claimed such a move has never been done before. Though insurance companies are already required to cover patients with pre-existing conditions under the ACA, which was enacted in 2010. Despite Trump's insistence that he will protect those with pre-existing conditions, the Justice Department argued in a Supreme Court briefing in late June that the entire Affordable Care Act should be invalidated. Overturning the law would take away health insurance coverage for about 20 million people. The effects would be felt even more acutely given the coronavirus pandemic, which has infected roughly 5 million people in the U.S. Trump has, throughout his first term, promised to unveil a health care plan of his own, though has yet to do so while seeking re-election. Actually, no, he's uh, put two out in the beginning of his term, but hey, nobody wants to cover those anymore. In an interview late last month with Chris Wallace on Fox News Sunday, Trump promised a comprehensive health care bill within two weeks. Two weeks later, he said it would likely be, with, uh, be out within a month. It was not immediately clear if the executive order mentioned Friday was the same measure. Trump has rolled out a number of executive orders in recent weeks as he seeks to accomplish parts of his agenda prior to Election Day. So, okay, I understand where the hill is coming from off of this, and they're going to come out and say, Whoa, we'll just keep the ACA in, and that's going to be fine, and it's, it's going to be fine for everybody, and it's not. That's a big part of the problem that we have with this. Now, of course, if you see pre-existing conditions go into insurance, then the healthy people's insurance rates are going to go up. That is a thing. But getting the ACA dismantled, putting health care back into the hands of private individuals the way that they want to cover, and just requiring the fact that they have to cover pre-existing conditions is going to fundamentally change the way the free market healthcare goes. And yes, 50 million people are gonna come off their healthcare. That's gonna be fine, but they are going to have the opportunity to buy into it again at a state level or have their employer cover it. Or if their employer doesn't cover it, then they can go jump off and give their employer the finger 
and go find a new place to be employed. That is one of the things that I do. I don't like the fact that pre-existing conditions are covered the way that they are, just because of the fact that it drives the cost up. But the upside of pre-existing conditions being covered is the fact that you're not bound to your employer. You're not a slave to your employer if you do happen to get a major, major illness that's covered. Like, say you're working for a place that treats you like shit, and you get cancer. Now you have to stay there for if there's no pre-existence, uh, pre-existing conditions coverage, you have to stay there forever because your uh, your current insurance will continue to cover you. But if you move jobs and can't take your insurance with you, then you're no longer covered because you have a pre-existing condition. And then your employer can treat you like absolute shit because you can't go anywhere because you could, you would never be able to afford that out of pocket the treatment out of pocket you'd never be able to afford. The pre-existing coverage does free that up and gives you some mobility and holds employers accountable. So there's an upside and a downside to it. Yes, the costs of the healthy people are going to go up, but on the other side of it, people are going to be free to move jobs and go to places that affect the, or that are better for them, essentially. So there's always an upside and a downside to everything. You have to sit back and watch. So, yes, to get rid of the administrative state of the ACA, simplify insurance and still cover pre-existing conditions that's what this that's what this is but yes the rest of the press is going to try and demonize the president because well he just wants to have the ACA light why don't we just keep the ACA if that's what they want to do no fuck you guys all right now let's move along here off of this because we will be talking about this a little bit later on today as well and look at some breaking news right now. From WGN out of Chicago. Live coverage, widespread damage reported throughout Chicago after a night of looting. From Judy Wang, Ronan Tumulty, Sarah Jindra, WGM Web Desk, and the Associated Press. Widespread damage is reported throughout Chicago after looting and rioting began around midnight on Monday. Witnesses report hundreds of people smashing their way into stores throughout Michigan Avenue, areas in the South Loop near the north side. WGN's Judy Wang was on the scene early and reported seeing people filling trash bags with merchandise. She also saw a crowd trashing the streets outside the stores and turning over garbage cans. Second Ward Alderman Brian Hopkins told WGN he witnessed people driving up in vehicles, smashing windows of stores on Michigan Avenue, and grab items and drive away. We can see some pictures off of this. The Apple Store at North Avenue and Clybourne Avenue was also the... Oh, I know where that is. That was over by... That's that's West Suburbs. The Best Buy and Benny's Liquor Store were also looted. Skycam 9 was over the scene around 6 a.m. Police reported to pol uh, police-involved shooting near Michigan Avenue and Lake Street. In downtown Chicago, CTA train and bus services was suspended and expressway ramps were closed for several hours. The bridges at Michigan, Columbus State, and Wabash and Dearborn were lifted as well. Around 7.30 a.m., the service started to resume. Bridges were lowered and ramps were reopened. It wasn't immediately clear what led to the unrest, which began shortly after midnight, but anti-police graffiti was seen in the area. Hours earlier, dozens of people had faced off with police after officers shot and wounded a person Sunday afternoon in the city's Englewood neighborhood. This is a developing story. Click check back for details. So, I've seen other news stories coming out of this, and of course I wanted to take the one directly from Chicago if I had the chance to do so.
But it does appear that the police started, uh, the police were involved in a shooting that didn't kill somebody but injured somebody yesterday afternoon. And the rest of the city blew up because of it. And partially that is because of social media. But yes, now Chicago is going up in flames and people are rioting, looting, busting stuff up. I don't see any reports of fires, but they're doing all kinds of other things. And it rained pretty hard yesterday in the area. Like I'm not in Chicago, but I'm close enough to it that the weather is going to be similar out of this. So I could see some of that maybe deterring some of this, but yeah. It is a, it's going to be a hard one, and it's probably going to rain down there again, but we'll probably see some more of this out of the week as well. All right, let's keep moving along here from NBC News. Biden camp taps Republican Trump, Foe, and Navarro to rev up Latino voters. From Carmen Sesson. The Biden campaign is hoping Republican commentator Anna Navarro of Trump foe known for her salty quips can help drive Latino and other voters to the presumptive Democratic nominee. Navarro was born in Nicaragua and came to the United States after the 1979 Sandinista Revolution when my family fed com uh, fled communism and we settled in Miami. Wow. You fled communism and you want to support this current Democrat party. Hey, you do you. I became a Republican at the age of eight because it was a party that was fighting communism. I did not kowtow to communist dictators, she said. She called this an essential part of being a Republican. This is one of the biggest messaging points that the Trump campaign has been pushing to solidify and energize GOP Latino voters in the critical swing state of Florida, calling Biden and other Democrats communists, socialists, and communist sympathizers. But by collecting the support of Navarro and others like her, the Biden campaign is not only trying to puncture that thinking, but get others to galvanize the never-Trump voters. Living in Miami, Navarro said she has been represented by Republicans like former Reps Ileana Ross-Littinen and Lincoln Diaz-Ballard, former Jeb Bush, or Governor Jeb Bush, and former Senator Mel Martinez. She called them people who understood and prioritized the interests of the community and who were not afraid of bucking the party and standing up for their community. Navarro said she voted for a Democrat for the first time in 2016, but when she cast her ballot for Hillary Clinton, not Trump. It still hurts my heart every time I think of him coming down the escalators and calling Mexicans racists and other criminals, she said, referring to when Trump launched his presidential campaign in June of 2015. Trump won Florida in 2016 by 1%, but recent polls show Biden holding a slight lead in the state. Navarro joined the campaign in a Latino-focused virtual event aimed at ramping up voter enthusiasm in the midst of a pandemic that has shut down campaign rallies and other events that bring large groups of people together. The online event touched on or upon an array of topics including COVID-19's disproportionate effect on Latinos, healthcare and temporary protected status or deferrals from de uh, deportation, and a permission to work given to immigrants from countries experiencing natural or political turmoil. Florida is a pivotal battleground state and one that is seen as a must-win for Trump's re-election. Latinos make up 20.5% of eligible voters in Florida, according to the Pew Research Center, and both campaigns are vying for their vote. With Florida on our side, there's little chance to no chance that Trump will be re-elected, said Biden's senior advisor, Cristobal Alex, who hosted the event. Yeah, no, Navarro, no. no and that's a hard thing, too, because... I mean, there is major socialism and communism coming out of the Democratic Party right now. It's, I mean, they're in the pocket of Antifa, who are 
pretty much communists at this point, and they're making a communist revolution. And people like Navarro think that the Democrats are going to save them from the communism. Well, no. They are openly advocating for communism at this point. They are openly requesting that it come out to this. This is going to be an interesting election. This is going to be an interesting one to watch. But we will see what come, uh, comes out of this one here. Let's keep going here from the Hill. We've got a little bit more Biden news. Biden campaign says no VP pick yet after bike trail whip. From Tal Axelrod. Joe Biden's presidential campaign confirmed Saturday he has not yet picked a running mate after the former vice president was seen on video quipping to a reporter about his 2020 selection. Fox News reporter Peter Ducey caught Biden on a bike trail on Delaware on Saturday morning. Biden initially responded in the affirmative when he uh, when asked if he had picked a running mate before jokingly telling the reporter that he had chosen him to be his running mate. Folks, this is clearly a joke, campaign spokesperson T.J. Ducklow said after the tweets went viral, stating Biden had picked his number two when Vice President Biden has made a decision on who his running mate will be. He will let the American people know and can confirm. It's not P. Ducey of Fox News. Anticipation, rather, has grown over who Biden will select as his running mate, with the former vice president expected to make a decision. As soon as this weekend, sources have told The Hill. Biden's campaign had initially said a pick for the vice president would be made by August 1st, though that deadline was pushed back several times. And the campaign now says a running mate will be officially announced before the Democratic National Convention begins on August 17th. The former vice president has known for or known to be mulling a number of Democrats, though he has given no indication of exactly how many are under consideration or who would be considered a frontrunner. Yeah, no, Peter Ducey as the running mate. Yeah, no, this guy... He just said something. He has no idea what he's saying, where he is. He just said something off the cuff. But that's what we saw up out of this here. Got a couple more off of this. Excuse me, I have hiccups too. Former San Francisco mayor urges Kamala Harris to politely decline VP slot aim for AG instead from Yale Hanlon over at Fox News. Former San Francisco Mayor Willie Brown, oh Jesus Christ, it's him too, it had to be him, has urged Senator Kamala Harris to politely decline a spot on Joe Biden's ticket if the 2020 presumptive Democratic nominee chooses her as a running mate. Now, the question I gotta ask here is, did he suggest this to her in his bed or her bed? In an op-ed headline, Brown, Kamala Harris should say no to the vice presidency published by the San Francisco Chronicle on Saturday. Brown, who has openly discussed his past extramarital relationship with Harris, urged her to reject the vice presidency and request instead to be considered for the role of AG in a Biden administration. Fuck no, is all that I have to say to that. Hell fucking no. No. That would be a nightmare, especially if that old doddering bastard manages to win. Kamala Harris is AG. Fuck no. Harris is a tested and proven campaigner who will work her backside off. Oh, Willie Brown, I would not mention her backside if I was you, if you're making an op-ed about Kamala Harris. 
to get Biden elected, Brown wrote. That said, the vice presidency is not the job she should go for. Asking to be considered as AG in a Biden administration would be a more uh, would be more like it. Brown continued. Historically, the vice presidency has often ended up being a dead end for even or for every George H. W. Bush who ascended from the job to the presidency. There's an Al Gore who never got there. Yes, but whoever the vice president is will become the president when they 25th Amendment this dude out of there. If Biden wins in November, the Democrats will be moving to the White House in the middle of a pandemic and an economic recession. No, the pandemic will be over by then if Biden wins because they can't let the economic turmoil come during a Biden presidency. The next few years promised to be a very bumpy ride. Barack Obama and Democrats saved the nation from economic collapse when he took office and their reward was a blowout loss in the 2010 midterm elections. What? Saved the nation from economic collapse. The, ec the economy collapsed. What? On the other hand, the Attorney General has legitimate power, he argued. From atop the Justice Department, the boss can make a real mark on everything from police reform to racial justice to prosecuting corporate misdeeds to prosecuting Trump voters. The Attorney General gets to name every U.S. attorney in the country. That's power. Harris has long been considered a front-runner to join the Biden ticket, but her record as a prosecutor and her contentious debate exchanges with the former vice president during the primary can be seen as liabilities. And you think that this woman, who put people in prison for smoking a fucking joint, should be the AG. Anyway, yeah, that's what Willie Brown had to say. Yeah, fucking Willie Brown, no, I would... Once again, if you're writing an op-ed about Kamala Harris, given everything that happened between you and Kamala Harris, I would not mention her backside. That would be the last thing I would talk about. But, hey, if that's what you want to see. All right, let's keep going. Uh, this is another opinion piece. This is from CNN, so we'll just go a little bit into this one here. Joe Biden just destroyed one of Trump's biggest attack lines from Dean... Obadala. Joe Biden on Saturday utterly devastated one of President Trump's most repeated attack lines against the former vice president. And the irony is, Fox News helped him do it. Fox News, the evil Fox News, they helped him do it. On the day that Trump was at his ritzy, exclusive country club in Bedminster, New Jersey, that reportedly has a $350,000 admission fee, Biden did what so many typical Americans do for recreation. He rode a bike. What a saint! The former vice president, who was wearing a mask, was accompanied on his bicycle ride by a few others on the streets of his home state in Delaware when they were approached by Fox News' Peter Ducey. Then, Fox News, or a Fox reporter yelled at the bike riding Biden, Mr. Vice President, have you picked a running mate yet? To which Biden responded, Yeah, I have! Ducey then followed up, You have? Who is it? To which Biden re uh, jokingly replied, You! The exchange not only aired on Fox News, it went viral on social media. And then almost on cue Saturday afternoon, around the same time Biden was on his bicycle, Trump tweeted out from his posh confines of his country club one of his go-to attack lines against the former VP calling him Sleepy Joe Biden. So, yeah, this is just somebody kissing Biden's ass again, once again. And the reality is, of course, you notice when you're sitting here watching this that uh, as Cogn uh, cognitive as the decline is for Joe Biden, 
You also notice the fact that he was uh, wearing a mask because he had to be protected outdoors while working out from COVID-19. But he was not wearing a helmet. I don't know if anybody else caught that on any of the pictures that have been so, uh, circulating around social media. And maybe one of the speculations, something I have heard a couple of times through this, is the fact that, uh, uh, yeah, there isn't much of a brain left to protect over there in Biden. So, yeah, they actually want this man who can't for, uh, string a coherent sentence together to be the president. That's great. All right, let's keep going. I got one more on Biden here from the Daily Wire. Biden seems to suggest Michael Brown was victim on the anniversary of death. Obama Biden DOG said officer acted in self-defense from Ryan Saavedra. So yes, they're going to pull this story back up out of out of the annals of history once again. Presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden portrayed Michael Brown as a victim of a police shooting on Sunday. The sixth anniversary of Brown's death in Ferguson, Missouri, despite the fact that the Obama... Uh, the Obama-Biden Department of Justice determined that Officer Jaron Wilson had acted out of self-defense. It's been six years since Michael Brown's life was taken in Ferguson, reigniting a movement, Biden tweeted. We must continue the work of tackling systemic racism and reforming policing. The report states that several witnesses stated that Brown appeared to pose a physical threat to Wilson as he moved towards Wilson and that those witnesses were corroborated by blood evidence on the roadway. The report says that there was no credible evidence to refute Wilson's account of what happened. The report repeatedly states that throughout the different stages of the incident, as it progressed, the evidence establishes that the shots fired by Wilson were in self-defense and thus were not objectively unreasonable under the Fourth Amendment. Wilson was recently subjected to a second investigation by St. Louis County Prosecutor Wesley Bell, who announced last month that he would not charge Wilson. This is one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do as an elected official, Bell said. Although this case represents one of the most significant moments in St. Louis's history, the question to this officer is a simple one. Could we prove beyond a reasonable doubt that when Darren Wilson shot Michael Brown, that he committed murder or manslaughter under Missouri law? After an in-depth review of the evidence, we cannot prove that he did. So, yes, this has been looked at, picked apart numerous times at this point. Didn't it get uh, done twice under Obama? Like, didn't he have two attorney general look into this? I thought, I know he had one for sure, but I thought he had two separate ones look into this. The state of Missouri has looked into this numerous times, and yes, they just opened it up and had it investigated one more time. And once again, a democratically elected official, an AG out of Missouri, came out and said, nope, I can't charge the officer with anything as much as I want to because it would be politically convenient for me. I can't charge him with anything. So that leads down the road to tell me that uh, this was justified. The peaceful, gentle giant that had just strong-arm robbed a cigar, uh, cigarilla store a little bit before. Alright. Got a couple more here, and then we'll do something that restores my faith in humanity. From Fox News. Thousands of bikers heading to South Dakota rally to be blocked at a tribal land checkpoints. From Nick Givis. A convoy consisting of... Th oh, 
uh, Instagram is actually about to kick out here. So those of you who are watching this on Instagram right now or will be watching in the future, head on up to the link in my description above you. Go and check out my YouTube channel, or you can go from my YouTube channel and find my Twitch or my DLive as well. So come on over there and check those out. We'd love to have you and see more discussion from you. So go ahead and check that out, and we will see you next time on the Instagram side or in a couple seconds over on YouTube. Take care. All right, a convoy consisting of thousands of bikers headed for South Dakota Rally will not be allowed to cross the Cheyenne Sioux checkpoints on their way to the event, according to a Native American spokesperson. The spokesman said on Saturday that the band of travelers would be stopped on their way to the Sturgis Mo uh, Motorcycle Rally in the name of preventing coronavirus from spreading any further. These seven tribes that make up the Sioux Nation are now in a fight with federal and state officials who deemed that such checkpoints would be illegal. Well, that's where we're going to actually have to sit down and arm wrestle over what, uh, what is sovereign and what isn't. Uh, if the Indian Reservation is actually sovereign land, a sovereign nation separate from the U.S., then yes, they have every right to do so, just as any other nation would do so. And just as we saw over in Europe during the coronavirus pandemic, when European Union states that had open borders for the entire time there was a European Union were suddenly closing borders off to each other. But if tribal lands are just an extension of the U.S. property, then no, this would be illegal for them to do so or if there is something within a treaty between the tribal nations and the U.S. government that would also be illegal. A duty officer for the Cheyenne River Sioux told the Guardian Saturday that commercial and emergency vehicles will be allowed through the checkpoints, but nothing else. Some reservations have reportedly turned away bikers already. Crowds had gathered for the start of the 10-day event on Friday, with many bikers ad uh, adopting an attitude of defiance toward the COVID-19 restrictions that have drastically changed day-to-day -day life. Screw COVID, read the design of one of the t-shirts being sold. I went to Sturgis. I like that. Governor Kristi Noem, a Republican, has supported the Sturgis rally, citing the fact that no infections were reported as a result of the event held by President Trump at Mount Rushmore. Last month, she's also avoided a mask mandate and highlighted the idea of personal responsibility. For Arizona resident Stephen, or Stephen Sample, 66, who rode his bike to the event, the gathering is a break from the mostly monotonous routine of the last several months. I don't want to die, but I don't want to be cooped up all my life either, he said. Some of the crowd at Sturgis, composed of retirees and people in the age range deemed to be at risk of the coronavirus. Business owners like bar owner Marsha Schmid, however, are trying to prevent the establishment from becoming a virus hotspot. She spaced out tables, offered hand sanitizer, and scaled back the number of employees at the rally to an effort to help contain the disease. So we are seeing a couple things that are going along with this, and a couple things that I like to see with something like this, of course. And Christy Noem is right. I mean, this is a personal responsibility thing. These people have assessed their own level of personal responsibility. Let us not forget that the CDC came out back in June and said that it's very unlikely for this disease to be transmitted if you are asymptomatic. The news media seems to have forgotten that part, but I remember that clearly. So as of right now, I mean, if you're not sick, then there's a very, very low chance. And like if you're an asymptomatic car uh, carrier, rather, there's a very, very low chance that you can come out and spread this around to people. So these people have come out. They've assessed their own personal uh, level of risk. They've all got bandanas. Some of them are going to be bandanaing up and masking up. Some of them aren't. 
the restaurants are coming out and being personal. There's a per level of personal responsibility out here. The people are doing this for themselves. And this will be a true test as to what uh, what's going to come out of this pandemic. And once again, that's the other thing that we need to see. I mean, we'll see if the virus is actually afraid of a biker rally, too, because the virus is definitely afraid of Democrat-led protests in cities like Minneapolis and New York and Portland. You can stand shoulder to shoulder and scream and yell at each other in those places, project your voice and everything, but God forbid you go into church and sing because you might spread the coronavirus indoors. So, yeah, there's a lot of things going on here from what I understand. I've never been to Sturgis, but from what I understand, this is a mostly outdoor event. So, this will be a big test as to what's going to come out of this pandemic. All right, let's keep going. From CNN, Georgia School District will now only offer virtual learning after 90 staff members are forced to quarantine. From Deccan and Doan, a school district in Georgia has decided to start the school year with virtual learning after more than 90 staff members were forced to quarantine due to a confirmed or suspected case of COVID-19 or due to being exposed to someone who did. If today was the first day of school, we would have been hard-pressed to have sufficient staff available to open our schools, Barrow County School Superintendent Chris McMichael said in a statement on Wednesday. The Barrow County school system, about 50 miles northeast of Atlanta, planned to start with both in-person and remote instruction on August 17th. Now, only virtual learning will be available after dozens of county staff had to quarantine due to a confirmed case of COVID-19, a suspected case, or a direct contact with a confirmed case, the district's statement said. An estimated 5.6% of the approximately 1,600 staff that had been in school buildings for more than a week to conduct pre-planning were out. The superintendent said in a school board meeting on Wednesday, staff were required to wear masks inside, per the district. That causes us a lot of concern right now, McMichael said. At Wednesday's school board meeting, McMichael also cited the community spread in the county, which has just over 1,200 cases of COVID-19 as of Friday morning, according to data from Johns Hopkins University. Barrow County Schools did not give a date for the resumption of in-person instruction, but it said it would present a phased approach as soon as possible. Barrow County's situation was similar to that of its neighbor, Gwinnett County, the largest school uh, district in Georgia. Gwinnett opted for virtual learning after at least 260 staff members either tested positive or had been in contact with someone who was positive. But while Gwinnett is set to reopen with online learning on August 12th, the superintendent said students will return to class in phases beginning on August 26th, a decision that's provoked the ire of teachers. And yes, we are seeing some of this as well. I mean, the big governments and the regular governments cannot allow their students to go without their daily indoctrination. Like I've said at the beginning, these kids are going to miss out on a lot of things if they don't get to go to school. Their parents are going to see their homework, realize what a shit show Common Core is, and my God, is Common Core a complete fucking shit show, especially on math and science. I, I shudder to think what's going on in the history books for those. So the parents are going to see what's going on in the homework, what they're trying to cram down their children's throats as early as kindergarten off of this. And yes, who's to say if, I mean, they're in attendance of the Zoom meeting. Who's to say if they're actually in the Zoom meeting? Or actually participating in the Zoom meeting? They could just have it up in the background. And then have another website open. They could be watching Contemporary while pretending to be in class. Which, once again, they'd learn a lot more from Contemporary than they would in their dumbed-down school system at this point. So, yeah, that's what 
they're seeing out of this. The government agencies know that they have to get their kids back in for their daily indoctrination. And the teachers don't want to do so because they want to keep parents at home and keep the economy crashed. There are a lot of moving parts to this. And yet some of these teachers that are out there that are concerned about going back to school are out there protesting as well. Keep that in mind as well. So a couple things that are going on with that. Let's keep going. Just a few more off of this here. From the Daily Wire, AG Barr, on mail-in voting, people pushing it are grossly irresponsible. Media used to oppose it. From the Daily Wire News. Attorney General William Barr told Fox News host Mark Levin during a Sunday interview that those who were promoting drastic changes to the way that Americans vote right before an election were playing with fire and were being grossly irresponsible. I'm very worried about it. You know, as I said at the beginning, the two ways we have uh, resolving disputes in our society and keeping peace are discussion and voting, Barr said. And right now, we're a very divided country politically. Our elections have been very close. They can turn on one state. They turn in just a few districts. And people have to have the confidence our outcomes. We're going to have real problems in this country, Barr continued. And I think that the people who want to experiment with different ways of voting right now, which are predictably, you know, can predictably create problems of integrity, are playing with fire and are grossly irresponsible. You know, we mail-in voting, you know, has been used for people who in individual cases where they can't go and vote, you go, you apply for a ballot and you get the ballot and you vote. There's no problem with that, especially for states that have been doing that for a while, Barr continued. But the idea that you, without any request from the mail or a voter, will mail out your voting list. And all these thousands and thousands of ballots is scary because most of these mailings go to a lot of addresses where people no longer live. They're misdirected, and I think that will create a situation. They could easily create a situation where there's going to be a contested election. Oh yeah, this election is going to be contested no matter who wins or no matter how they win. Barr seemed to suggest that the DOJ has been monitoring the media's coverage of the issue of mail-in voting, saying, And you know, it's funny. We went back and looked at press coverage of this issue. It wasn't until Trump was elected that the media changed its tune. Before that, the media used to refer to mail-in ballots as, you know, fraught with fraud or raising questions of fraud or integrity of the vote. It's only after, it's only recently that they've now made, you know, doctrinal weight that, oh, there's no, there's no issue with mail-in voting, Barr continued. So, yeah, that is uh, correct, actually, now that I recall and sit back that, yes, absentee voting has been uh, slammed by the media prior to any of this. Barr brings up a good point when he brings this up. And once again, I don't have a problem with mail-in voting or absentee voting or any of this here as long as you go and apply to do so. You have to have that extra step. Otherwise, yes, they are going to go out and mail your ballot to bumfuck nowhere where you don't live anymore uh, anymore because you were on the registration and god forbid they uh, purge a voter roll every once in a while so people actually have to go back and register to vote again and have their correct address in and have people that have deceased off the voter rolls there's so much else going on with this and they're trying to change technology right before they go into something new and we have seen problems with this before even on our freedom scoop network what the last time we did a 12-hour uh, charity stream uh, Discord had recently made a major update, which we were using that to do the group call. They had recently made a major update, which 
started a suck down processor on everybody's system. Nobody could live stream off of uh, Discord because it was sucked down off everybody's stream. So we all went to Zoom and we tried to figure out Zoom on the fly before going into a 12 hour charity stream. And we figured it out, but it took almost three hours before we had everything completely figured out on that all. So yeah, changing technology on the fly right before you have to do something or while you're in the midst of something leads to disaster. And we're gonna see this coming in November. No matter what happens in November, this is gonna be contested. You're gonna see investigations and it's possible come January, we aren't even going to know come Inauguration Day, who actually won because they're still going to be counting ballots. This is going to be an absolute crap show. All right. All right, just a couple more here. From the Washington Times, this is a uh, opinion journal. This is not green check verified, but uh, this was brought to my attention and nobody in the mainstream was covering this. So I wanted to uh, make sure that everyone noticed that this was here. Project Veritas, James O'Keefe sues FBI for listing him as a felon on a background checklist. James O'Keefe was offered a ballot a few years ago in Detroit under the name of Marshall Mathers, but it turns out the Project Veritas president cannot legally purchase a firearm. I don't know why that's important. Mr. O'Keefe filed a lawsuit Thursday after several gun shops turned him down, citing background checks that found him listed as a convicted felon on the National Instant Criminal Background Check System maintained by the FBI. I want some type of federal list, said Mr. O'Keefe in a busy, uh, video posted Thursday. Apparently, the FBI has erroneously put me on the NICS background check system as a convicted felon. The problem? I'm not a convicted felon. I've never been convicted of a felony, so I'm pretty shocked by this news. He says he believes an error stemmed from his unjust prosecution in 2010 for posing as a telephone repair worker to enter a New Orleans office of then-Senator Marilyn Landrieu, part of an investigation into whether she was ignoring constituents' phone calls. He pleaded guilty to a Class B misdemeanor, not a felony, with a maximum sentence of six months in prison. He was sentenced to probation. By the way, if I had to do it over again, I would have fought the ridiculous charge and then been vindicated because I did nothing wrong and was just doing what investigative journalists have done for centuries, said Mr. O'Keefe, who said he used his real driver's license to enter the building. So, yeah, that's, that's something you need to watch for and something if you do want to purchase a firearm somewhere in the near future, that's something you should probably check into. You should actually probably get out and check it right now to make sure that you don't have something hanging over your head. That needs to be done because, yeah... If that can happen to you, then you're going to have some big problems coming up off of this. All right. Uh, this is from July. I'm actually going to save this for tomorrow. No, I'm not. I'm going to read this right now because it's important. And as fast as news has been going, I won't have time for this tomorrow either. So this is a bill that was brought to my attention by Midget B over in the Discord server, which you can find in the About section now of all of our uh, all of our streams and uh, podcasts. Because I actually fixed that on the D Live, and it's always been there on the Twitch side, and it's in the description on YouTube. So you can go and get in the Discord. You can drop links, and I will look into them and see if they're worthy of the news, or if I can find something green check verified for them. And you can shape how contemporary goes. So head on over in the Discord and check that out. Midget B brought this up to my attention over here. Uh, HR 7468, which nobody heard about. 
Stop Home Manufacturer of Ghost Guns Act of 2020. So this uh, was taken, referred to the House Committee, uh, Committee on the Judiciary on July 1st. So this came out in June. And I'm going to read a little bit out of this. This act may be cited as the Stop Home Manufacturer of Ghost Guns Act of 2020. Uh, Section 2. Uh, prohibitions relating to firearms manufacturing machines. Section 922 of Title 18 U.S. Code is amended to add, uh, adding at the end the following. It shall be unlawful for any person or in an affecting interstate or foreign commerce to transfer or offer to transfer to any person other than a licensed manufacturer a firearm manufacturing machine. Except as provided in subparagraph B, it shall be unlawful for any person other than a licensed firearm manufacturer or in affecting interstate or foreign commerce to possess or purchase a firearm manufacturing machine. Subparagraph A, it shall or shall not apply to a person who is engaged in the business of selling, manufacturing uh, equipment to a licensed manufacturer and who possesses a firearm manufacturing machine with the intent to transfer the machine to a licensed manufacturer. So what this means, and I've read down through the rest of the amendment that goes on to U.S. Code 18, is that it is illegal for you to own a machine specifically for the intent to manufacture firearms which largely shows, once again, the fact that nobody really knows how firearms are made that are making laws to do this. Because if this law were to go through, anybody who has a CNC, whether a business or a private individual, could be subject to federal law at this point if somebody came out and said, oh, well, Jerry Smith up on the hill is making guns because he votes the wrong way. Because it doesn't take a specified machine to make gun parts. You can do it right on a regular CNC machine. And people know how to manufacture stuff. Especially in my state. We love to manufacture things in Wisconsin. It's part of the union background of the state. People know how to manufacture. So yeah, this is something that definitely needs to be paid attention to. And of course the mainstream media isn't going to show anything of this. So I wanted to make sure this got out and people talked about it. Yeah, ghost guns, something that definitely is, and I mean, for the most part, I mean, yeah, a 3D printed gun is not something you would ever catch me firing because once that shell goes off, it'll blow apart and blow up in your face, so you'll never see me one, but and yeah, you can essentially make a 3D printed gun and find a regular pin to make a firing pin. So anybody with a 3D printer could wind up being a felon under U.S. Code 18 if this were to go through. So this is something we definitely need to sit back and watch. All right, last one that I have here came to me by a friend of mine who lives in North Carolina. Did you feel it? 5.1 magnitude earthquake in North Carolina felt into South Carolina. So out of Greenville, South Carolina, from Patrick Phillips, a 5.1 magnitude earthquake was reported in North Carolina on Sunday morning, but it was felt across the region. The USGS reported an earthquake at 8.07 a.m. The depth of the quake measured 9.2 kilometers, or roughly 6 miles. According to reports from the USGS, the quake could be felt on many areas, including as far away as Lynchburg, Virginia, as far south as Greenville, South Carolina, as far east as Durham, and as far west as Knoxville, Tennessee. People well into the Midlands were also reported feeling the quake. So that was a little shorty here as well. But yeah, um, Linda B., who has been on Ed's World before, 
pointed out to me the fact that there was an earthquake. Otherwise, yeah, this wasn't a real big one and not a lot of people heard about this one either. But I didn't even realize there was a fault line over there on that side of the country. But yes, there was a small earthquake in North Carolina, all around the region. I do hope everybody's safe, that nobody got hurt off of this. And we'll be watching this in case something else comes out of it. Tremors, aftershocks, but for the most part, I think this one's over. All right, and that's going to be it for news today. And the last thing that we do on Contemporary on Monday is something that restores my faith in humanity because we need to end a lot of this negativity on something that's positive. So the thing that's restored my faith in humanity this week happened late last week for me. Now, I have some family members that I don't associate with because of choices that they've made in our, my, uh, their lives or choices I've made in my lives. It just happens that way sometimes. Not everybody can get along with everybody. Uh, I used to live with my cousin and his wife when I first moved out of Kenosha because they had a place. Uh, my cousin ran a campground at the time, and it was getting to the point where he couldn't do all the work by himself anymore. He was grown to the point where he couldn't do the work by himself anymore. And I was stuck in a situation where there were no jobs to be had where I lived, so I needed to get out. So I went up there and I moved in with them and helped out around the campground and wound up getting a decent job that led me into getting actually a really, really good job for a company that I currently work for as well, who I will not disclose, obviously, for obvious reasons. At this point... We sat there, we lived together, everything was really, really peaceful. And then I met my ex-girlfriend, who did not see to eye to eye with my cousin's wife. And a lot of this started off with a fight that uh, that happened between the two of them over something that happened with her. I don't want to air all my dirty laundry out of this, but needless to say off of that, the relationship between my cousin, my cousin's wife, and I were strained from that moment. And I knew that I couldn't really go back. And then they just moved campgrounds recently, too. So they sold off the one that they had, and they moved to a different one. Now, at this point, I thought to myself, I can never go back to this campground, because if I go there, then my cousin's wife will start shooting at me. And then there will be a lot of more tension off of this, which sucks because my parents camp there, and I don't get to go and see their place. Well, as it turns out, my dad talked to my cousin, and family is thicker than whatever event has ever happened in the past. And I was invited back to the campground, and I haven't gone yet, but the fact that the invitation was there, that everything has gone over past, that he doesn't want to fight with anybody in the family anymore, which sometimes I think maybe he just wants to have more cheap workers out there, but he doesn't want to fight with people in the family anymore. The fact that families can overcome even the most vicious arguments out of there, that restores my faith in humanity. Family is forever. No matter how many fights you get into, family is forever. And the fact that they can overcome even some of the biggest things. And some families can't do that. But most, I think most families can. Even the worst arguments, I think most families can overcome. So, at some point in the next couple weeks, I'll be going back up there because my dad will be having a retirement party up there. And I'm excited to see that and see how that goes. But the fact that I'm allowed to go back and the fact that I can feel comfortable going back, that restores my faith in humanity as well as the bond of family. All right. And that'll be it for the day. So we will be back here later on tonight with the Red Net Show. Make sure you come back and check that out. Otherwise, we will be back here tomorrow with more Contemporary. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary.